Here and welcome to Looking Back at Lost, where each week I look at another episode of ABC's Lost to see how that episode fits into the series as a whole. Today I'll be covering episode 214, entitled One of Them. This is the 38th overall episode, and there are 83 to go. Joining me today for this landmark episode of Lost is a fellow Losty and contributor to phgeek.com, making his return to the podcast. It's Pete. Hello, Pete. Hey, Matt. How are you? Thanks Do- again for having me. My absolute pleasure. I'm glad that we're able to talk about this uh, very, very important episode. Uh, before we do that, though, a quick, uh, couple of quick bits of feedback. Uh, I received a nice email from Jen, who uh, said as follows. I went to work last week, and the garage elevators were closed, so I had to take a long, winding staircase up to a fountain and saw this. And she included a picture uh, of a plaque which uh, read... Uh, he leads me beside still waters, he restores my soul, and it was uh, cited as Psalm 23 from verses 2 and 3. Uh, Jen went on to say, I worked at this hospital for two years and never noticed the Bible verse. Being the lost nerd that I am, I just had to share. As always, I'm looking forward to the next podcast. Namaste, Jen. I thought that certainly was nice. That's cool. Um, and also, uh, there was a review on iTunes. I always love it when that happens. Uh, it was from uh, Kyle Kuhn, who I've heard uh, from before through Twitter, and he, he actually left a very lengthy message, which uh, it'll make me blush as I read it, but read it <laughs> I will, if only to encourage other people and to, to highlight his kindness. So he said, best post-lost podcast, five stars, five stars all the way. When Lost ended, I figured my podcast listening days were numbered. I don't know if he is going for a number pun there. <laughs> uh, most Lost podcast packed up and called it a day. Matt, on the other hand, picks up where they left off. This is a very smart and honest look at the show as a whole. Not since I, uh, not once have I heard fatigue and dread in doing this podcast for 35-plus weeks, hmm. which certainly is nice to say. Certainly there's, there's times where I feel a bit fatigued, but uh, it's always fun doing it. Uh, he goes on to say, Season 3 might change this, har har, <laughs> which it's going to be tough. There's going to be a, a, maybe the, the, the second quarter of Season 3 will be a rough patch indeed. Uh, he uh, wraps up to say, I look forward to this podcast every Monday. Thank you, Matt. Keep up the great work. So that certainly was very flattering to hear. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much, uh, Kyle Kuhn, and certainly anybody who wants to check out his words or maybe leave their own review on iTunes, you're welcome to do that. And now with that, let's get to the Wikipedia summary for the episode. In flashbacks, the 1991 Allied invasion of Iraq is underway. Saeed, an Iraqi soldier, is seen burning documents with fellow soldiers. American troops burst in and attempt to identify the commanding officer. Saeed tries to lie, saying that the commanding officer has abandoned them. But the American soldier, Sam Austin, who is Kate's father, doesn't believe him. Saeed is held by the Americans. Two higher-ranked military men ask Saeed to act as translator, with few results. Austin knows they can't get the information and calls in the next man 
an American DIA agent named Kelvin Joe Inman. Inman orders Saeed to torture the Iraqi officer. Ultimately, Saeed does. He is released by the Americans who are pulling out. Inman tells him that the day will come when Saeed needs information from someone and that he will have the means to get it. However, Saeed vows to never torture again. On the island, Saeed sees Danielle Rousseau, who tells him she was looking for him. Danielle asks Saeed to follow her to the man she has captured, who is in a net hanging from a tree. Danielle tells Saeed not to let him go because she thinks he is one of them. The man identifies himself as Henry Gale from Minnesota, saying he crashed in a hot air balloon on the island about four months ago. Trying to escape, Henry Gale is shot by one of Danielle's arrows. Danielle brings Henry Gale to the hatch and explains to Locke and Jack that the wound wasn't treated because they want to learn as much as they can about the man while he is still wounded. Jack intervenes and removes the arrow, but Saeed tells Jack not to untie Gale. Saeed interrogates Henry, who says that he and his wife Jennifer were in a hot air balloon crossing the Pacific Ocean when they crashed four or more months ago in the North Shore. He describes his hot air balloon and says that he dug his wife's grave near where they crashed. Saeed then moves forward and grabs one of Henry's fingers, holding it with the pliers. He then starts questioning more ferociously, threatening to break Henry's finger. Meanwhile, Sawyer is unable to sleep due to a chirping noise coming from the jungle. He finds Hurley eating a secret stash of food. Hurley tells Sawyer that the noise is coming from a tree frog. Ultimately, Sawyer and Hurley find the frog. Hurley offers to release it two beaches away, but Sawyer suddenly kills the frog by crushing it in his hand. Back in the hatch, Saeed beats Henry as Jack and Locke listen from the outside. Jack takes action by holding Locke, preventing him from entering the numbers at the appointed time, telling him that he only let Locke go if he opens the door. As the timer passes zero, the black and white numbers flip over to red symbols, including hieroglyphs. The symbols are accompanied with the loud sound of a machine spooling up like a jet engine turbine. Locke finally hits the execute button, at which point the timer resets to 108 and the sound dies down. Meanwhile in the armory, Jack bursts in and stops an enraged Saeed who yells, he's lying, several times. They lock a bloodied Henry back in the armory. Jack recalls to Saeed how Danielle tortured him because she thought Saeed was an other. Locker arrives and agrees with Jack, stating to Rousseau, we're all others. Saeed is then back on the beach talking to Charlie about what happened in the hatch. Saeed thinks Henry is an other because he feels no guilt about torturing him. He asks Charlie if he remembers how the others hanged him from a tree and kidnapped Claire, adding that the others are merciless. Then he simply asks Charlie if he's forgotten what the others have done to him. And now, Pete, let's finally get into our thoughts about the episode. I think in terms of the overall series mythology, obviously with the introduction here of Henry, who we will later come to know as Ben, this is a very important benchmark. Um, You know, occurring where it does with 10 episodes left in this season and the run-up to the excellent finale, um, you know, th- this is a really defining moment, not only in the course of this season, but in the course of the series uh, proper. Um, I, I totally agree. And I think that that is even seen in the Previously Unlost segment, which I don't always talk about, as you know. But this Previously Unlost, it has everything that we've ever seen about the others, it feels. 
Uh, it's prepping us for a huge episode. It has Rousseau, Claire's abduction, the Tailies being attacked, the Whispers, the others with the teddy bear, Shannon being shot, Tom Friendly drawing the line. It's just, you know, after all of that, it, you know, how can you not be psyched for, for the episode? And uh, that said, the episode starts with the fall of Iraq during Gulf One. There's explosions, burning files. There's almost a little bit of a letdown from the previously on Lost, but um, very quickly it, it picks up. Um, American troops enter, and uh, as a side note, Pete, I don't know if you watch Sons of Anarchy. No. Well, they're one of the one of the guys in the in the MC, as they say in Sons of Anarchy, mm-hmm. which is motorcycle code for motorcycle club. Okay. That's MC. Okay. Uh, one of them, one of the actors from that, uh, or one of the characters from that, the character of Juice, uh, <laughs> he is the second most important American troop. You know, uh, army guy. The first being, of course, uh, Kate's father. Okay. Uh, Colonel Austin. But uh, I just kind of got you know tickled pink. Even I could tell just from his first bit of yelling. I'm like, that sounds like Juice yelling. <laughs> and uh, and sure enough, it was. Is it Colonel Austin? I've seen Sergeant Austin as well. I don't know whether we're promoting <coughs> him or busting his rank or or what have you. I guess it's neither here nor there. But just pointing out that I've seen another uh, rank. Attributed. I, I have Colonel floating around in my head, but that might be from uh, the episode What Kate Did, which obviously okay. takes place a number of years later, where he's working in the all the glory of the recruiting station. Um, which, side note, do you remember, Pete, from that episode, which you might not have seen in a while, but in What Kate Did, mm-hmm. when she's visiting her... Well, I, call, I like to call him her father slash fake father slash real father. Right. Because as you might recall, she thought he was right. her father, right. but her stepfather, who I call stepfather slash father slash stepfather. Yeah. It's um, confusing. Yeah. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Do you, in the background uh, at the recruiting station, mm-hmm. there's something on the TV. Do you know what that, do you remember what that was? I'm trying to remember. It was a big deal at the time. Uh, enlighten me. Not remembering. It. it was footage of none other than Saeed Jarrah in the background. Yes. Yes. And I think at the time, people were like, you know, that harkens back to uh, the Jin flashback, the first Jin flashback episode in season one, where you see Hurley on the TV briefly, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. then the winning, next week. Winning the lottery. Yeah. Yep, yep. Then the next week, you see the Hurley episode, and there's like, ah, the connection. Right. This has been, I mean, weeks, this is probably, you know, certainly in the in the original chronology of the way the show was released, this is probably four or five months since that episode. So just a neat little yeah. connection there. But um, I'll mention, too, there were great... I thought there were pretty great effects when we first see uh, Baghdad. It's not mm-hmm. perfect, but we see the battered city. We see the helicopter. We pan over to the outdoor set. Um, and even after that initial shot, when they're, when they're deep in the, in, you know, the drama of the scene... Some of these special effects continue in the background. There's minarets. There's jets flying over. Right. It's really kind of selling. Um, oh, did I say Baghdad? I told you I was going to say that before. <laughs> Obviously, it's not Baghdad because right. it's Gulf One, and as is referenced by you know knowledge of history. We stopped 40 miles before that. Um, in talking about the effects, and it's something that I remember uh, watching this episode on TV as it aired, saying. Wow, that's fairly crappy uh, computer-generated uh, backgrounds. And I don't know whether it was the quality that it was coming across on the TV. It wasn't high def at the time or anything like that. But going back and re-watching it, 
via the magic of my uh, Blu-ray disc player, I was really impressed. There's there's two particular CG scenes. There's that initial establishing shot with the helicopter and, like you mentioned, the background stuff. And then later on, I thought an even more impressive, because it's a more Spartan landscape and, and therefore kind of harder to fake the, uh, you know, the oil fires that Saddam's, uh, you know, uh, people had set and uh, things like that when Kelvin drops uh, Saeed off at the end there and, um, you know, leaves him beside the road with uh, several hundred dollars to get back to wherever. I, I thought they worked. And if I may make a cross promotion to uh, the other podcast in which we participate, uh, this was the subject of one of our uh, more recent podcasts, uh, CG or Not to CG, with uh, the PH Geek uh, podcast. So anybody looking for maybe some further uh, discussion of that topic might check us out on iTunes or on Podbean as well. Absolutely, phgeek.podbean.com. Um, let's see, as that scene progresses, that's actually the, after we see who I'm calling Juice, you know, Juice from Sons of Anarchy, <laughs> whose Juice is commanding officer, that's when we learn that it's Sam Austin, Kate's father slash fake father. Um, for anything else you want to say about what I continue to call Baghdad, but actually is not Baghdad? No, no, I think we'll, we'll come back to my feelings on Tariq a little bit later, but we see Saeed clearly cast here as the good soldier, in terms of morality, you know, I'm going to protect these men from being shot, but mm. at the same time, I'm not going to dime out my commanding officer who, as we see later in the episode, he has every reason to say, this is the guy, this is a bad person, all that stuff. Um, yeah. Uh, all right. Well, from from the Iraq flashback, we cut to Saeed washing himself, all muscular and such. Ladies enjoy. Can can I make a, a quick? I don't. It's probably not a non sequitur. Uh, I'm watching this and I'm saying, is he washing? Is this an ablution? Is he getting ready for morning prayers? Was something that hmm. really struck me. The way he was cleansing himself, you know, head, arms, that kind of thing. Having done a little bit of study with, um, you know, uh, Islamic. Um, uh, prayer rituals and things like that. I, I wasn't clear whether that's what it was or not. I know they've shown him, I think they show him later in the show, uh, not this episode, but later in the series, uh, praying uh, to Mecca. Um, but I thought it could have gone either way, and maybe that was just the ambiguity they wanted to fill you with there in light of what happens in this episode. Certainly, I mean, I've commented in previous podcasts how there's almost a surprising lack of religion in the show. I mean, there's kind of religious aspects, but, uh, you know, a few episodes ago with um, the Charlie flashback, uh, the Charlie episode. The with, Charlie flashback. Yeah, in Fire and Water, there's this uh, business about baptism mm-hmm. and, uh, and all of that. That was almost the first, not even almost, that was the first time to my mind that religion was brought to the forefront. So if this is a religious motif, um, I guess they're doing it uh, subtle, you know, with enough subtlety that it's not kind of in your face. Right. It definitely wasn't heavy handed. And, you know, I, I don't think someone non-familiar with the religion would really pick up on it. Again, it's a trough of water and he's he's cleaning himself off. But maybe we get to the to the big point of that whole tease there. Yeah, yeah. Danielle shows up asking to to uh, 
talk to him. And I actually felt that the teaser act itself, it kind of was a weak ending. Saeed asks her what she's doing there, and her response is, looking for you. Right. Boom, right. cut to the title card. Um, I, I'll mention this, too. Um, I've commented in the past how Danielle oftentimes asks, uh, acts as a deus ex machina. Mm -hmm. It'll kind of be like when they can't reasonably bridge the gap between... For example, one of the times I mentioned this before was with the Black Rock, where they kind of can't reasonably get our castaways to the Black Rock just by walking through the jungle looking for coconuts. So kind of Danielle appears for the sake of story and says, come with me, I will show you this. And then she gets them there. And then in that episode, she'll be like, you know, she's like, well, and that's the Black Rock. See you later. <laughs> you know, poof, problem solved. Right. So, I mean, you can't imagine the introduction of, of Ben and... Even the mini arc, uh, you know, the, the, it's kind of famously he would um, um, Michael uh, Emerson was contracted for three episodes, mm -hmm. which then got extended, extended. And now, you know, it becomes a regular. Yeah, mm. comes a regular for season three, and is kind of one of the most memorable characters. But you you can't imagine even this mini arc of the business of the balloon. Um, you kind of can't imagine that without Danielle inserting herself into the story to say, you know, hey, story, follow me to a brand new direction. <laughs> well, the character, you know, tangentially related, the character that has the greatest bond to Danielle is Saeed. The first time that uh, she is seen is the shoe on the other foot. You know, he's being interrogated by her and they have this bond they're shown together multiple times. He's almost like the translator, if you will, if we're going to follow the motif from this episode, for her. He speaks her language. And something that struck me just with the insight into, um, you know, uh, Naveen Andrews' personal life, I got to wonder if it was a joke in the writer's room. Okay, we're going to have an older female character. Who are we going to pair up with her? Oh, I know. Naveen is with Barbara Hershey. So he clearly has, he, he is an old older lady wrangler. We're going to get him uh, paired up with her. He speaks the language, <laughs> if you will. You know, referring to that uh, failed romance, long time romance, but I know they're, they're done now that Naveen Andrews had with uh, Barbara Hershey. So it just kind of struck me there. You know, he... He runs up to her, oh, I'll, I'll handle this, you know, uh, Ana Lucia, you don't know anything about this, you know, I will deal with this. And and she he goes and he talks to Danielle and, and the tease there. I, I found it a, a little bit more effective, I, I think, than maybe you did. You know, it, it makes a lot of sense knowing their back history. And then there we are. Not to turn this into, you know, National Enquirer or TMZ <laughs> or whatever. Do I remember correctly that you know, there was something like an 18-year difference between Naveen Andrews and Barbara Hershey and then their relationship went south because he at least cheated or perhaps fathered a child with somebody who was like 15 years younger than him? May have been. He's got a very interesting personal history. He was a, he was a hardcore addict. Um. I want to say heroin. Wow. Um, he's in the English patient uh, in a in a scene stealing role. He's a um, he plays an Indian uh, mind detection guy, and um, you know he's he's featured. You know, while it's a smaller role, he's featured prominently, 
And, you know, he has this, you know, very talked about relationship with Barbara Hershey. So he's a pretty interesting guy uh, off screen. And, um, you know, I, I don't know. It, it sounds familiar what you're talking about with the uh, father and a child outside of the non-wedlock relationship that he had with Barbara Hershey. Uh, but, uh, my sources at TMZ and <laughs> at Deadspin and all the other, uh, sites we can name check for this type of information, um, are unable to confirm that at this time. Fair enough. I'll just mention too, that seeing some of the behind the scenes stuff for Lost on DVD, you know, we're kind of used to say kind of with this, you know, I'm going to take apart this bomb <laughs> and then I will, I will beat <laughs> the truth out of you. Then when you hear him speak for real, he's like. Right, so um, the there the we are, up, <laughs> up in the woods, pretending that there's a monster. And you're like, who's this high-voiced, uh, I know. gritty it's... Brit who's like... What attracted you to the role of Saeed, first of all? The money. The promise of a, a paycheck for at least a year. See, for the first time, we have real honesty. That's what you get from Londoners. It's the paycheck. The money, dear. Nothing but the money. The character is a pretty dark guy, isn't he? He kills people. Do you mean? He likes to kill people. Oh, well, he's a dark guy. In, dark? In the flesh he's dark, and in the mind he's dark. This man. is 2009. Obama is the president. Hey. Good God. No, no. Do you mean you meant dark in, in, this, in a spiritual sense? Well. We're getting ready for high tea, and then, you know, it's like action. You will not yeah. stop me. Yeah. You know. In my country, we do not have... Uh, what, what does he say? We, we do not have bamboo. We have reeds. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, definitely. It was shocking the first time I heard his voice out of character. Yeah. I, you, you're being far too kind with his act. I really thought it was, it was like this. So. It's very high. What struck me was the height of it. It's, I mean, it's not kind of high and girlish, but it's like where Saeed is. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, He's yeah. like, oh, hell, there we are. You know, very, very kind of up there. Yeah, it, it was definitely um, a very big gulf from what we're used to with the character. Well, that was your Naveen Andrews minute. Uh, there are five acts to a television drama, television hour-long drama. We've now done one. So, uh, after the title card, there's a little bit of recap disguised as dialogue, which, as I'm sure you know, Pete, is something I complain about. Particularly in season one was a complaint because it was done in a clunky way. It would be like... What do you mean Claire has been taken? Claire was taken by a man named Ethan who comes from a camp of people who were not with us? We must go get her, you know. From these other people <laughs> who we call the others? To be fair, though, why does Saeed want an explanation? You know, the last time we uh, he saw her, um, previously on Lost, uh, she told him that the others were coming, but they were not. I mean, they were, you know... In that they, you know, she said they were coming for Aaron when actually they were coming for the other boy, mm -hmm. uh, Walt. But so um, we get a little bit more juice there, no pun intended to juice from Sons of Anarchy. <laughs> uh, we then head back to the flashback. And I had to wonder what it's like for an actor to learn phonetic dialogue, specifically here, you know, Saeed's Arabic. Um, we've, we've seen in um, a number of, of uh, episodes that have dealt with kind of the language issue. Uh, the first Saeed flashback comes to mind where they'll do the uh, Judgment at Nuremberg, Hunt for Red October trick where you, you learn 
60 seconds worth of, of sounds. Then you zoom into the mouth and it goes da-da-da-da. And that is why we yeah. will... And then it's like you've explained to the audience what you're hearing is English, but it actually is Arabic. Um, obviously, that wouldn't work where you intentionally have Engl English and Arabic appearing in the same scene. But this must be like, all right, in addition to learning your lines and your blocking and showing up for makeup and hair and wardrobe, see all these sounds here? Mm -hmm. You need to memorize them. And P.S., there's going to be an actor who speaks <laughs> Arabic across from you. So if you mess up, he's going to be like, what? why is this Indian guy playing <laughs> the Arab gentleman? Why didn't they just hire me? So... Anything you'd like to say about that before we move back to the beach? That is what it is, you know. So I don't, I don't think there's any real analysis that you haven't covered there. Fair enough. Uh, with that, the story moves to the beach. Uh, and what I call the supposedly comedic B story of the annoying frog. Um, it's a little bothersome, I thought, the bit with Hurley stealing food. I feel like they're kind of going for the lowest common denominator. Um, that said, it does give a chance for the most selfless and the most selfish of the main characters to spend some time together. I, I agree, um, with the, how did you couch it just there, um, Matt, the supposedly comedic, I mean, I look at this episode in retrospect as having the classic AB story structure, you know, we've got the B story here of Hurley, Sawyer, and the frog. And um, I remember this one very fondly. And if there would be an episode to go back to, to point to their dynamic, which, you know, the two actors there, um, uh, why am I blanking on Hurley's... Jorge Garcia. Jorge Garcia and um, James Ford, Josh Sawyer, Holloway. Josh Holloway. Okay. Um, to go back and to highlight their dynamic, this would really be one, you know, between the uh, the names he throws out, you know, rerun, Barbar, uh, -bar, as Hurley corrects him, it's Babar, you know, Hamo, the whole thing with the, uh, you know, the ranch disorder becoming the lead item on the coconut internet, you know, snappy, cute type of thing, and, you know, coming on the heels of the previous Sawyer-centric episode, The Long Con, you know, it it goes well for a while, and then, you know, they. but we can't have it be too lighthearted, particularly in what the A story is a fairly dark episode. Yeah. So, anyhow, I loved that, as I said, I loved that contrast between uh, the, the selfless and the selfish, and speaking of a character who is selfless and selfish... she says ah! it's one of them i have no idea what she's talking about she's crazy how long has he been up there since last night please just cut me down my name is henry gale i'm from minnesota please he's lying i'm going to cut him down don't thank you you're making a serious mistake so we see Henry later known as Ben for the first time and you know one point I think has to be made and then I want to get to my other point but this is the series Darth Vader and for them to 
show us him the first time in this net when we're really caught as characters and as viewers in his web. He's on his way, as is explained to us later on, to go seek out Jack because of a medical issue that he's having, I think is pretty darn interesting. And if we're going to follow the Darth Vader Star Wars, you know, uh, you know, archetype uh, deal through like they would in their writer's room, you know, clearly later on, then the man in black becomes the emperor and everything that, that goes on there. But when Danielle says, no, no, don't cut him down. I got to ask the question, you know, what would she have had Saeed do? with him we're going to leave him in the net is he supposed to interrogate him in the net how's that supposed to work you know it's it's clearly a false alternative because we know he's going to cut him down mm. that's what saeed does he wants to get to the bottom of things you know he is the viewer's surrogate for you know cutting into a mystery um i mean a couple of responses i think that you you really have hit on something with ben being darth vader because just that, and not even to get into the whole discussion of, you know, original trilogy and prequel trilogy, <laughs> just that, you know, whether you're looking at one trilogy or, or the two Star Wars trilogies together, at a certain point, you become more sympathetic to Darth Vader. Definitely. He starts out as literally the black-hatted villain, mm -hmm. and you start to understand his motivations, uh, just as with Ben, I mean, the perfect TV villain, but then at a certain point, there's dad going, you know, I hate you, you took your mother away. Uh, you know, let me smack you around some while I drink my Dharma beer. It's, you know, you can see how, you know, how it's not a, it's, it's not a great life that he's, that he's leading. Not that that justifies a bunch of things, including the purge and all those people who are killed, right. but you see where it comes from. It's not, you know, he, he, it's not the shark from Jaws who springs forth and just, you know, does evil. Um, and real quick, you mentioned the purge, and and maybe you know I'm I'm blind to my own genius in terms of uh, this connection, but Jedi purge, Dharma purge. I mean, we could we could probably spend an entire podcast just evaluating the uh, the similarities and subtle differences between Ben and Vader. But the the other thing too to see, you know, the, the motif with Ben that is continually explored is. How much can we beat him up and bloody him, you know, uh, beat the crap out of him right before a pivotal plane fight and everything there? <laughs> you know, there's a bobblehead doll of Ben out there that of all the ways you're going to depict Ben for his bobblehead doll, you know, you're going to have him armed in the sling and, you know, black eyes and everything like this. Just the anti-Vader in the way, the vulnerability with which we see him for the first time. Yeah. Albeit it's not as Ben, it's as Henry, so yeah. he's not really in character yet, as opposed to the dominance that we see Vader for the first time. Yeah, I think that's an important um, thing to keep in mind. Obviously, we're calling him Ben because that's the name of the character that we, we know looking back, like we do here on Looking Back at Lost. <laughs> but that he, is, you know, the character of Ben here is portraying Henry Gale, and not just by the lies he says, um, and we'll, certainly we'll talk later in the episode, there's a look, there's a look that, um, that the person, you know, whether, whether you want to label him as Ben or Henry, when he's in, there's a look when he's in the gun locker that he gives that, you know, we'll talk about later, that's the first time you see Ben as Ben. Um, so, so there certainly is that, um, is that dichotomy. And, uh, yeah, you mentioned how beat up he gets. Let's not forget he tries to run off and Rousseau shoots him with an arrow. Mm -hmm. um, that much I had remembered. 
that she shoots him through the torso. I had actually forgotten that. I was kind of like, oh, here come. I guess maybe it's just the arm in the sling so much. I was thinking of of some kind of arm wound as opposed to, and maybe torso is the best it's word. It's up towards his shoulder. Yeah. I actually, I'd be interested in going back because to watch it again. When I watched the episode yesterday, I felt like it was, I felt like it looked like a gut shot initially. Okay. And then by the time you get to the hatch, it's migrated up. Maybe that was just my, my whatever. And something that had occurred to me uh, is that actually it comes up twice. And we know in retrospect why he's going to the camp to seek out Jack. But uh, shortly after he's hit, and he shot through with the crossbow. He says, "Oh my back," and we know with the tumor later on. It's not the tumor. <laughs> no, it actually is a tumor. It is a tumor. <laughs> um, we we know with the spinal tumor uh, later on. You know, you got to wonder where that was all planned out. Yeah. And there's a moment later on where Jack is examining him, and he says, uh, "You know." He shouldn't be on his back. Mm. And, you know, I know it's been a uh, recurring theme with the podcast, you know, for you, Matt, that Jack can do no right. But the Jack (laughs) has now examined this patient. And granted, he doesn't have x-ray vision. He's not an MRI machine. He acts like he does. (laughs) To to be able to tell that this patient has a spinal tumor and, you know, is uh, terminal at this point because of its its placement and all that. Um, but that he examines the patient when the patient has come to see him anyway <laughs> for this. And he is unable to detect, to pick up on this, um, this tumor, I just think is worth pointing out. Absolutely. Uh, I guess that, you know, in the, in the rule of threes, Jack is wrong about the injury. I mean, kind of, I mean, I, maybe I fault Jack a little bit less just because it is, you know, an emergency room situation. The guy has an arrow through him. You know, you're not kind of, you know, turn your head to the left and cough. But <laughs> he, he's wrong about the injury. He's wrong about the button in this episode. He's wrong about the nature of Henry Gale. But such is the way of Jack. Um, Pete, something else I know uh, you've heard me talk about is symmetry. Mm-hmm. And there's just amazingly, shockingly good symmetry in the next scene. Or the next kind of pair of the Ben scene and then what's what we're about to discuss next. Um, and I feel like it's a motif that the show is explore that the show had started to explore more um, because it's happened in, in some of the previous episodes, you know, you know the, some of the most recent episodes. But so we have Ben introduced in one scene on the island, and who's introduced in the next scene in flashback? Kelvin. Ben is under the name Henry Gale. Kelvin is under the name Joe Inman. It's just with the Sawyer flashback, you see Sawyer has a male. Uh, uh, Co-worker, co-conspirator to help dupe the woman on island. Sawyer has Charlie helping him to dupe chiefly Kate. And it's, it's kind of through Kate buying into the con that everybody else buys in. And then here, as I say, here we have mysterious guy introduced under a false name. Right. Ben. The next we see Calvin introduced under a false name. And introduced under false pretenses, too, as yeah. we come to discover at the end of the episode. And we'll hold that back a little bit. But the presence of mind to cast... Uh, Clancy Brown, a great actor, and know that they were going to go back to him in the finale and the pivotal importance he plays in bringing the plane to the island and everything that's going on there and further symmetry in how that goes with pushing the button in the hatch and that, you know, they're bringing Ben to the hatch and everything that goes on there, you know, 
very uh, wonderfully interwoven. And speaking of Clancy Brown, let's uh, take a listen to some of his uh, some of his fine words in this episode. I want to talk to you about your buddy, Tariq. Uh, look, I get it. You're a man who values loyalty. You've been doing a little translating for us. You feel like you're doing the wrong thing. I get that. And I respect it. I mean, how do you just not love that delivery? You know, you've been doing some translating for us. <laughs> My respect. He's just like, he comes across as knowledgeable, but no nonsense, but kind of sympathetic to, like, hey man, you know what? You know, it, it's a it's a screwed up shape to the world today, <laughs> and I, I didn't make the shape of it, but here we are. You know, you're on one side, I'm on the other. You're working with us. Must be tough. That's just the way it is. You were born in Iraq. I was born in the U.S., Let's just dance this dance, man. And just a little juxtaposition. I don't know if you or your listeners are aware right now, but Clancy Brown has been getting some voiceover work most recently on the uh, the Clone Wars cartoon on Cartoon Network. Um, and he actually plays the... It's very ambiguous, but they've thrown the word brother out several times, and we don't know if that's to be taken figuratively or literally, but uh, he is the same race as Darth Maul, and the last time we saw his character, Savage Opress is the name of the character, uh, he was going looking for what he believes to be his brother, whatever that Mm. is supposed to be taken as, and that he may still be alive, Darth Maul, in that, uh, you know, universe there. So here he's the duper, there he may be the dupey, mm. which is pretty interesting. And he was somebody they specifically sought out, uh, Clancy Brown, because of the voice and the gravitas absolutely. with which he uh, delivers it. Yeah, I mean, just absolutely fantastic speaking voice. Um, I'll mention, too, in that scene, there's kind of the kind of cuteness that some of the numbers are on the video that are showing uh, dictatorial brutality. Uh, of course, that video is supposed to encourage Saeed to help the Americans find the missing pilot. Um, I don't know. I mean, this is this is the second season. This is the middle of the second season. They're at the height of mystery, just throwing mysteries out there. They're at the height of people... Um, I mean, I don't know that this was necessarily the height of the ratings in the second season, but certainly, I think in terms of fan, the most fans being involved on a week-to-week basis of checking out your favorite podcast or forum or whatever, checking out other people's stuff. You know, I've told the story before in the podcast from the first season when the numbers were introduced at nine o'clock on Wednesday. The episode just ended. Put the numbers, you know, into. I just remember distinctly going onto Yahoo, putting the numbers in. Nothing. Going to bed, maybe couple hours later there was a couple of things that said what are these numbers from lost by the by the time the weekend hit you had you know graduate dissertation connections Mm -hmm. on magnetics with you know Haydn symphonies and how that has to do with the numbers you know so like to to throw the numbers in there it's just kind of one of these like hey let's get everybody all excited and you know I think that probably only the fringe loonies were actually like it all has to do with the numbers, man. It's like, no, they're just being cute. They're being cute because you have a DVR and you hit pause or because you were watching carefully and you saw some of the numbers. So um, I was amazed, too, at how flashback Saeed looks more innocent and a bit heavier weight-wise and has shorter hair. 
Uh, clearly, the innocence and world weariness, depending on flashback or island, clear, clearly that's an acting thing. And the shorter hair is probably a wig or just some fancy hairstyling. But the weight, I don't know. Did they thin out his beard? Is it just the lighting? Is it just him portraying, you know, I mean, Dustin Hoffman, Death of a Salesman, <laughs> he put on, a, I think he put on a wig and a pair of glasses and then just kind of shuffled on stage right. and boom, he was an old man. And then step out onto the street and it's Dustin Hoffman age whatever, probably 40 or if not younger at that point. Mm-hmm. So great, uh, you know, great acting there out of uh, Naveen. Very believable in terms of the uh, the younger role there. They say he's 23 and running the numbers before, Matt, you know, so we're led to believe that by the end of the series, he's uh, nearly 40 years old uh, when he uh, he meets his uh, heroic demise there. Indeed. And speaking of great performances... Who are you? Henry, Henry Gale. I'm my back. We're going to take it out. First, I want you to relax. How did you get to this island? Four months ago, we crashed, my wife and I. Crashed in what? A balloon. We were trying to cross the Pacific. Just fantastic acting there to Michael Emerson. Uh, I believe he would go on to win two Emmys for loss. I know there definitely was one. I know of one. I don't know if it was two. Maybe he was nominated for yeah. a second, you know, did a, a superb job. And you had mentioned uh, before off mic that it was originally a three-episode uh, situation. You know, I think he had been a serial killer on one of ABC's shows or something and really hammed it up there. Law and, and Order, SVU, that or CSI, you know, SVU, MTV or something like MTV, that. MTV, SVU. LMNOP. But, um, you know, they liked what they saw and they brought him in. And, you know, he, I mean, he, he's going to make a career based off of, of this character. You know, he's he's partnered with Abrams on the Person of Interest show. Uh, so he, he's gotten uh, continual work out of this. I know he's known as a theater guy mm. as opposed to being a TV guy. But I think you could go back here in the you know, annals of uh, antagonist history and, you know, put him right there with Darth Vader and uh, yeah. and Hannibal Lecter, man, because he is a scene-chewing villain. I'll just mention, although it's probably best saved for a later podcast in, you know, 20 weeks or so, but <laughs> let's not forget that in the uh, when we see him being born uh, in, in, you know, much later on in the show, that... Uh, the actress playing his mother is his real life wife. Yes, who was on True Blood actually, uh, and uh, plays uh, Carrie Preston plays uh, one of the waitresses there, Arlene in uh, Merlots. So I wonder what that's like on a on a cold winter's <laughs> night. But uh, back to this episode uh, uh, with Ben now in the hatch. We also kind of get. I mean, the episode to a certain degree has been without a without a conflict. Um, yeah, there's kind of the mystery of this guy, the mystery of Henry Gale, but uh, and that certainly is the problem for the episode to deal with. Mm-hmm. But there kind of hasn't been a you know if you want to separate out uh, the difference in the story between the conflict and the problem, sometimes they're the same, uh, sometimes they're separate. We then uh, get to the the true meat and potatoes conflict for the episode. 
What, you were just going to let him bleed to death? I was trying to get honest answers while he was able to give them. And his wound is far from life-threatening. Let Jack treat him first, then we'll get our answers. Jack, do not untie him. So that certainly sets up the the rest of the episode with uh, Saeed on one side and Jack on the other and Locke kind of as the, the swing boat. I think, too, again, with full retrospect, you know, for one character, this is not the first time that they are meeting. For Ben, he has met Saeed before and interesting that his body somewhere bears scars of their first meeting. Uh, and for Saeed, this is the first time uh, he knows that he is meeting uh, ben, even though he will, or he already has gone back in time to uh, to meet with him. So I think it, it sets up some very interesting dualities there as this is going on. Could you, now I will, I will, I will admit, because I think the medium of podcasting is about, about the honesty of the people on it. I had completely forgotten about that. So just in case there's anybody who it has, has the poor memory that I do. Certainly you bring it up has reminded me, so I'm back in the cool club. But <laughs> could you just uh, quickly recap that, that first meeting uh, to which you are referring? In season five, uh, when many of our characters are stuck in the Dharma 70s, the swinging Dharma 70s, one of them is Saeed. If I remember correctly, he's found in the woods, he's put into a cell, and who comes to see the prisoner? Hi, I'm a little boy, I'm Ben, here's a sandwich, and eventually um, Saeed will shoot this younger Ben um, in what is a very, very brutal scene. Yeah. Um, now, now that you've refreshed all our memories... Do they do they ever square? Oh, they do square away why he wouldn't remember Saeed. Isn't isn't part of the the healing process that's done to Ben? Isn't there reference made the to magic water to... and taking away bad memories yeah. and the so, Deus Ex Machinesque <laughs> qualities of the clean water as opposed to the dirty water later on that infects people, i.e., Saeed. So interesting that the cleansing healing agent. For Ben, who Saeed has injured, and he's never going to be the same, Richard tells us, you know, would ultimately come back and, and play a role in Saeed's fall and then redemption. All about water. Yeah. All about water. Yeah. Bad water, good water. Dirty Coke-looking water. Um, well, speaking of dirty things, in the hatch, <laughs> not dirty that way, uh, Staying in the hatch, there's a great little effect uh, when Jack's ready to pull the arrow out. Uh, the prosthetic apparently was rigged to be pulled out by the arrowhead just a little bit before they pan up to Jack's face. So you get a little bit of motion of him pulling it out. Unfortunately, they then cut to Jack having pulled the whole arrow out. How awesome would it have been if they, like, underneath the view of the camera, if they replaced the little arrow prop, you know, the one that has an arrowhead and one inch of whatever that's just sticking out of mm -hmm. the, the, you know, the, the pile of clay they have. <laughs> um, how awesome would it have been if they, Jack just starts to pull that out, you see it getting pulled out, cut to Jack, cut back to Jack with the pliers holding four inches of arrow. <laughs> it would have been so simple. You just have a guy on the floor, right out of camera range, whoop, switch it around, but oh well. I guess that's why... 
That's why they didn't call me to direct any episodes <laughs> on Lost, you know. Don't worry, I'm, I'm available for Alcatraz if you need me. <laughs> JJ, call me. Looking back at Lost at gmail.com. Um, while that is happening, of course, uh, Locke and Saeed are off whispering on the side um, to turn the now-empty gun locker into Ben's prison. Uh, along with a quick combo change again, so Jack can't get in. Um, as a side note, I just must be a lot of numbers for Locke to remember, you know. <laughs> um, the symmetry of this episode continues. As Island Saeed prepares to do what needs to be done, i.e. torture Ben, we cut to flashback Saeed uh, taking out Joe Inman's toolkit so he can torture the commanding officer. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about that? That scene, and they have some some words regarding Tariq. Yeah, I find the way that Tariq is presented to be very dishonest in terms of uh, characterization. You know, if we're going to classify Saeed as the good soldier, as, as somebody who does, you know, the the good of the many, and that's the torturous aspect of torture to get, you know, what needs to be done out there, <laughs> uh, you know. Okay, I'm going to pull out pliers and a switchblade and, you know, other goofy blood-soaked items here. I, I think I saw something from a dentist's office in there as well. <laughs> An oldie-time dentist's office. You know, and the very over-the-top, uh, you know, um, Tariq with, you know, okay, you're going to uh, take the plastic bag and kill yourself. You're going to follow your commanding officer's orders. Just very, like I said before, dishonest in terms of, you know, what our expectations would be as viewers. Yeah, like he's going to do that. Like we're going to buy it for a moment. You know, I, I think good drama is born of believability. And we never for a moment see a glimpse in Saeed's eyes like wow this was a respectable commanding officer that I will follow his commands and I'm going to feel that the torturer would feel tortured in some way to not go through with this well said I really I can't I can't top that well done um I'll add that after the interrogation which of course is is not done on camera, but but after the interrogation has occurred, Saeed walks out. He looks normal until the camera pans down to his hands, which are covered in blood. Just a really effective effective way to do it. Now, did you read into that? We never see Tariq again, right? I don't believe so. Would you read into that that he gave up that information in some kind of state before death? Um, that he was tortured to death and we don't have that. I mean, again, it's, it's, it's unclear. Um, but Saeed comes out in a robotic manner. Yeah. And I, I, it's just my own personal, maybe it's because I don't like the character of Tariq. Uh, I mean, I looked him up quickly on Lostpedia. The only, I mean, the only thing that I'm going to glean from it to share now it's obvious enough, but I, I think it's worth saying, um, given um, given the fact that Saeed continued to serve in the Republican Guard after the first Gulf War, it's reasonable to assume that Tariq never returned to service, at least in good standing. 
uh, instead of being killed or remaining in Allied captivity. Certainly, Tariq was not, you know, you know, oh, patch him up, you know, pop that eyeball back in, fella, <laughs> back on the line. You, you know, it's it, it, certainly he didn't tell the story, so I don't right. know. Um, that's interesting. Do I think Saeed killed Tariq? And what does that say about Saeed? That he did he kill him? I kind, you know what? I I mean, you know, Saeed is kind of perpetually um, the character that we like in spite of what he's done, mm-hmm. because we can, we constantly see the goodness in him. Um, so it's difficult for me to say what I'm about to say, but I like the idea. I like the the poetry of the idea of Saeed killing him. I like to think that that you know before the goal, even during the Gulf War, which let's not let's not forget was a hundred hours of of um, active kind of combat. Um, I like to think that up to the moment that Said had to you know start to torture him, Said hadn't really done uh, you know difficult military service, and I don't mean difficult in terms of running the miles with the you, the pack on your back. Making those difficult choices, he probably wasn't exposed to. Now, yes, Iraq was an awful dictatorship and, and whatnot. But given his age, given et cetera, et cetera, I just kind of have this sense of, you know, he was the guy who, you know, passed the messages. You know, he, he was the one that worked the radio, mm-hmm. who didn't, you know, he was the one who didn't need to worry about um, the content of what was going on. He was just kind of a paper pusher in some degree. And here he's had to step up in a big way. You know, oftentimes heroes are made on the battlefield by killing someone in, in one of these you know, uh, just situations. And here we have something that, at the very least, is gray. Um, so, I, yeah, I think he killed him. Yeah, I definitely think it could be read that way. You know, one thing Tariq did before, you know, we don't see him anymore, if we're going to fall into this uh, pattern of, of saying that, you know, uh, Saeed took him out... He references the great hero that was Saeed's father. I don't remember Saeed's father ever being directly spoken about. I want to say we see him one time. There was the stuff with the brother and the killing of the chicken in a, in a later flashback, if that doesn't sound <laughs> uh, oxymoronical. And, you know, all right, kill the chicken, kill the chicken, and we're led to believe that the boy who is being goaded into killing the chicken is Saeed. No, the other brother steps up to do it to save the frightened brother. And I want to say that was the father goading them into killing the chicken, hmm. to, to doing what must be done. <laughs> uh, and he does it. And, and early on we establish, and we're really retconning the idea of uh, Saeed later on. Uh, absolutely. Um, yeah, that's... Uh... I I had forgotten about that uh, that scene as well, but certainly your words bring them back to me. They reactivate that memory. <laughs> um, in the next scene of the episode, Jack and Locke, um, they have a discussion that I think was even more appropriate and more um, pertinent in 2006. Did you change it? Yeah. Why would you do that? You are raising an army. What? And why you didn't ask me to help, well, that's your business, but there's only one reason to raise an army, Jack, and that's because we're at war. And like it or not, 
Whatever Saeed has to do behind that door, that's part of it, too. What if he's telling the truth, John? What if he's not? So for me, that's just, you know, that's that's the show in 2006, you know, bringing into it the Patriot Act, the War on Terror, torture. I mean, clearly torture. If, mm-hmm. Maybe that's that's the headline. Maybe I'm starting with the lesser details. But to me, there's this very um, pertinent connection to, uh, you know, to the, to the world that we were living in then. Certainly, as I've discussed before, as well as having written about it on phgeek.com, uh, you know, the show is consciously a post-9-11 show. It couldn't, you couldn't help but do a plane crash show, uh, you know, in 2004 without it, it having a post-9-11 uh, influence to some degree. And, uh, you know, I mean, not to kind of wax overly eloquent here, I think certainly the, uh, you know, the, the way we all were feeling on 9-12 in terms of the people in our community... Uh, and that feeling of togetherness, that's, um, you see that at the very end of the series. Is that meant to be a direct connection to 9-11? I, I doubt it. Is, it. is it even appropriate in terms of the, the intellectual narrative of the show? Probably not. But, again, just this notion of you can't do a show... Yeah, in my opinion, you can't do any uh, serious uh, drama... Uh, after 9-11 without it being influenced in some way, even on a subconscious level to the, you know, to the production. This is a show where, to me, it's more than subconscious. Uh, you know, you have a plane crash. To me, the, the, the image of Shannon standing on the beach screaming the first time we see her, you know, that's, that's how we felt on 9-11. Mm-hmm. Um, and here we have, you know, time has gone by since that awful tragedy, and here we have this very serious discussion about the role of uh, going into a gray area for the greater good. I think, too, you know, Locke mentions it there, you know, uh, you're, you're build, building an army, you're raising an army, and to reference the conversation between Jack and Anna Lucia from a couple episodes before, I want to say it's the end of the hunting party, um, you know, that was a chill-inducing moment for me in season two. Like, oh my god, this is the scope of this show going forward. They are going to get into a full-out, uh, you know, war with the others. And obviously we know it's something that never happens. But there are a couple moments in the series. Another for me was, you know, seeing the outside of the hatch for the first time. And just the innumerable possibilities of what could be in there. None of us, I think, would have said, oh, it's a guy pushing a button every 108 minutes to prevent the end of the world. <laughs> uh, you know. Brother. Brother, yeah, just just saving the world, brother. Um, well said. Well said. Um, meanwhile, in the gun locker, as this Jack discussion is going on, meanwhile in the gun locker, we have just some fantastic Ben dialogue. And I think, too, it's Ben dialogue... That's better once you know about Ben. Mm-hmm. Once you know that he's not Henry Gale, you can see, yes, the show had a plan. Yes, the show was planting seeds. And you'll see here how he's shoveling a lot of crap in order to find, a, find out a little bit about Saeed. It started as a fever. After two days, she was delirious. 
Then she died. I don't know why you're asking me all these questions. I don't know why you're treating me this way. Why I have to explain to you who I am when you don't tell me who you are. You know, one thing that's occurred to me, when it's just the audio, it sounds so over the top. And I don't know if that's, the, you know, it, certainly it doesn't look that way. Right. I mean, there's a slight twinge to it. But you know what? When a guy's beating the crap out of you repeatedly, yeah. I think there's no way to sit here as men and say, I will, with my jaw in place, <laughs> will say, listen, bub, you know. But it, um, he just sounds tremendously over the top. And I don't even think that's because... Um, you know, let's not forget it is Ben. You know, it's Michael Everson playing Ben, right. playing a character. I don't know how much he knew he was doing that, but right. here we are after the fact. You know, it's Ben pretending, but um, I just felt like there was a bit of a disparity there because it's just like, why are you hurting me? And it really isn't that over the top when you watch it, and and needing to see it as well as opposed to just hear it, and the visual of you know a banged up Ben who we see a number of times in this condition. It, it really is his default when it comes back to the character. You know, we, we come to not think of him. I, I guess that's why in later seasons it, it just jars your eye so much to see that he had a secret agent uh, closet full of cash and an extraordinarily dated looking photo of what I guess was supposed to be the 70s of the or the early 80s where he was going all around the world and... Uh, we're looking for this man that's in the photo that uh, the people on the freighter will have. But um, I don't have a problem with Ben there. I really have a problem with Saeed. And look, we get it. They have to get into Saeed's pain and his torture as he's about to torture. And he ha he had lost... Shannon and everything, but it is so maudlin and over the top, and his eyes are getting progressively redder as we're talking to Ben. Oh, you lost someone too? What what happened to her? Did she get sick? You know, just so bad. When we know Ben knows everything there is to know here. Well, we know now. We didn't know then. Yeah, yeah, but, but <coughs> Ben knows this camp is disintegrating, and then, you know, uh, I, I had... In preparing for this, I had watched a couple of these episodes just to see the larger resonance. And then the next episode, Echo's down in the hatch and he sees the cod and he's like, who's there? And Jack is shushing Ben and, you know, he he already knows there's discord amongst these people. And then there were, um, <clears throat> I guess there were webisodes where they showed Juliet and Ben evaluating the... Uh, survivor situation and how Ben is going to go over there and and play his Henry Gale game. Have you seen the webisodes? I have. Yeah, they're, have. they're they're good. They're worth mm -hmm. watching. Mm -hmm. They're not. I mean, they're not great, but certainly they're they're good. Yes, but you know it. And and this is what opens Ben up to be Ben. That Saeed reveals his inner pain. You know, it's it. Yeah. It smacks of Star Trek Five. You know, each man hides an inner pain. Share yours with me and be cleansed in the sharing. It be healed, and then you know Saeed's supposed to not feel this burden anymore. Which, all right, I guess. <laughs> Certainly, I mean, from 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 the clip and from what you're saying, you know, I completely agree. There's. You just see Ben 
You see Ben being Ben. You see him willing to, to give himself up in such a great way to get information. And it's uh, and, and what does he get? He gets Saeed revealing that he's a torturer, which um, certainly is meant to be kind of a high point to the act. Um, and the, indeed, the music starts to rise for the act break. But um, that's not before a close-up, before we have a close-up on Ben. And it's not, it's not, you know, there's another close-up mm-hmm. later on. Or maybe that's, that's not exactly a close-up. The second one's kind of more right. of a mid-shot. But anyhow, the close-up on Ben to end the act, he looks blank. Uh, but his right eyelid, which is on our left as we're watching, it pulses a little bit. I would argue that that's because he's realized that of all the survivors that he could come across, he's locked in the room with the guy who's a torturer. I mean, think about it. Had the story gone differently, Hurley's walking through the jungle, and Danielle's like, I have a man in the net. Fast forward to Hurley and Ben sitting in the, you know, sitting in the gun locker and, you know, like eating Malamars and like talking about good times. And Ben's like, hey, you know what? Maybe I should turn my evil life aside because, you know, not only did I lose my mom, and not only, not only did I kill my dad, but I never had a brother. So, hey, friend, let's just, what if we ruled the island together, you know? But, I got, but no, there he is trapped in the torture, and his eyes twitching, he's going, oh, crap. I gotta call you out on that, though, because he has already, at this point, a dossier on each of these people. He knows who Saeed is, and I think... Uh, hence, when he is cut down, no, don't cut him down. For a long time, he will lie. What does Ben do? He gets up and runs because I think he knows. Oh crap! Oh, I see. It's okay. Saeed. This is the one man. I hope the doctor would have found me, right. or any of the maybe the con man, and I could show him how it's really done. Yeah. But no, I got to get the most dangerous <laughs> one. You know, apart from maybe you know a loose cannon like Anna Lucia, and hence the running because I don't think he was running to camp. <laughs> Few do run to camp. <laughs> um. There, me, with all this, there's been another story going on that we that we touched on very briefly. Um, the Sawyer and Hurley looking for a frog story, um, and I'm about to play a cl- play a clip that basically ends that storyline. So, if there's anything pre frog capture that you'd like to say, here's your uh, you're shaking your head no. So, no. Um, so with Hurley and Sawyer, we kind of instinctively believe that it's a storyline to teach us. Yeah, but Sawyer isn't such a bad guy. I have an idea. Why don't I take him far from here? Two beaches away. Maybe I'll find a Mrs. Tree Frog. That way it won't keep you up anymore and everyone's happy. Yeah, that's one idea. There's another. Dude, here with a little ranch, they taste just like chicken. I mean, that scene—it's—it's it's brutal, it's gross. It definitely is best unseen. Um, we just imagine that there's this goopy, bloody mass in Hurley's hand. And uh, by the way, the show then cuts straight to the hatch where Jack is cleaning up blood. Mm-hmm. So, because again, there—I mean, there is not a drop of corn syrup with red dye in the frog death scene. But Hurley go you know, there's the the zinger there of, you know, tastes great with ranch. Right. Or Let's, tastes just like chicken. Cut to a big bloody mass in the hatch. It's just fantastic editing. 
and and I think you know well served that they leave it to our imagination in terms of the uh, the little froggy that, yeah. that met his end at the hand of James Ford. Do you think that before the frog, as the, as the hand was slowly closing around it, do you think that the frog said to himself, "Why are there so many songs about rainbows?" And what's on the other side? Rainbows are visions. I don't know. I audibly gasped when he did that. Uh, I remember that. I have a lot of memories of watching this episode during the live run. You know, because of the first appearance of, of Henry Gale, because of... Uh, this this lighthearted turned you know in character uh, you know story of uh, Sawyer with what he does to the frog here and just the the horror on poor Hurley's face and in a couple episodes he gets his flashback with Dave and um, you know his, his moments there and all the while in the next episode after this you know um, Libby is featured uh, prominently. So things are really coming to a head emotionally for, uh, for Hurley. Well, and I'd say, uh, I'd say too, I remember learning in uh, Mrs. Churchill's junior year English class. Uh, I didn't learn much from her, but uh, what I did learn was a, an author's shorthand for, no, this is really a bad person, uh, is when there's violence upon children or animals. And, uh, I mean, I'd say, I think to a certain degree in drama, and let me stress that, in in drama, in fiction, I think that you might be able to make the argument that violence on an animal almost could be worse shorthand for telling the audience that that the character is bad. You know, now obviously, you know, that's not the same in real life, but Mm -hmm. um, the fact that it's, you know, it's, it's almost, it's a bold choice on the show's part to do the long con, where at least we can appreciate that this, this rogue had stuff stolen from him and people treated him poorly. They didn't give the stuff back when he was out trying to get him rescued and he turned back up and he took a bullet for everybody right. and they took his, you know, they took his shaving cream and his beer and, you know. <laughs> his porn. <coughs> and he's just, ne- and so he's like, you know what? You're not going to play nice in, within your rules. I'm going to upend all the rules of your society. We can kind of get behind that as the anti-hero. With this, it's just like, no, he's a bad guy. Yeah, but you know what? The the, the next episode here, he gives um, he gives Freckles a gun. You know, she comes to him. You know, look, it's the episode's maternity leave. We got to find out what's wrong with Claire. There's a lot of girl power in that episode between Danielle and uh, Kate and uh, Claire. And uh, he gives her a hard time at first, and then he says, all right, what's it going to be? You know, a nine or, or a rifle? You know, so it's inconsistent yeah. in terms of, of handling his, his darker side. And look, we know he's got a weakness for Kate, okay? So many of us do, but uh, I just think it's... Ever since Kate, in the piled episode, 101, when Kate went to go bathe in her bra and pantaloons <laughs> by herself in her lonesome... Uh, allowing for a medium shot from the from the knees to the head, which then got played over and over and over and over as a prelude to that first episode, and then in reruns of that first episode, and when they reran the pilot, 
uh, over the, the when the show took a winter break. They showed it all again, but <laughs> from the from the great highs of Kate in her in her next to nothings, uh, we then let, let's go back to this episode, shall we? We're inside the gun locker. There's an amazingly wonderfully slow boil. Ben's fake history. Mining non-metallic minerals that sends <laughs> sends everybody online. Yes, from you know, I, I you know, like my mom was racing to the computer to find out what are examples of non-metallic minerals. Is he lying? Is you he not lying? With, you watch this with your folks? Uh, for the first couple of seasons, interesting. I was yeah, I was still living at home, and uh, and uh, yeah, we would we would tune in. In I, fact, I, as a side note, I don't have the date in front of me, mm-hmm. but I can tell you. Where I was, like I was at a baseball game when the night that the air that the episode aired, where Anna Lucia is shot, and I remember as we were driving home, we actually were by that that uh, that camp that's not far from here, driving home. Okay. And um, uh, touch base with my my then girlfriend, future wife. Okay. And she said, "You won't believe." Like, yes, I realize that it's ten o'clock at night. And you're, it's a work day tomorrow, a school day tomorrow, whatever it might be. Um, you guys just need to come home and watch this episode right now. Okay. Uh, because you don't want anybody to tell you the least little bit about it. And, I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that episode when we get to that episode. Mm-hmm. But, wow, what a shocking episode mm-hmm. that was. So, um, yeah, watch this. Watch this with the fam. Um, back to that gun locker. <laughs> um the the um so he's talking about the non-metallic minerals right. and i'll mention too ben's fake history it's all preceded by just a slight pause as though kind of in a clintonian way he's kind of arranging all the bits and pieces in his mind mm-hmm. like it, you know it's it's that um usual suspects thing it's that briefest moment of okay what did i actually learn from that actual balloon that has landed you know and it just you can imagine his in his brilliant mind a hundred pieces go up on the mental bulletin board. Right. And he goes, duh, duh, duh. let me tell you about who I am. Non-metallic mm-hmm. minerals, balloon, Minnesota, da, da 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 Right. Then Saeed asks about burying Henry Gale's wife. Tell me where. What are you going to... In the jungle. By the balloon, in the jungle. How deep? How deep did you dig the grave? I don't... It, it How was... deep? How many shovelfuls of earth? Did you use your hands? How long did it take you? I don't remember. You would remember. You would remember how deep. You would remember every shovelful, every moment. You would remember what it felt like to place a body inside. You would remember if you buried the woman you loved. You would remember if it were true. Certainly powerful stuff there. It, you know, I, I suspect you're about to talk about the, the the quality of the whether that's kind of an appropriate response, but certainly it builds to yeah, it builds to that kind of climax of if it were true, and that's when I think everyone at home goes, oh, he's really good at what he does. Like Saeed knows how to get information from people. Saeed just figured this out, I think. And then there's the whole discussion that you know after you're done with the episode, you go. Or is he just blinded by grief and he doesn't know it, you know? So there's still kind of some gray area, but certainly, I mean, we can now obviously look back and say, 
yes, Saeed put two and two together and figured it all out by following his heart and by by being able to relate this personal experience and um, to reach that conclusion, you can't answer the most critical questions because it's not true. Yeah, but and I think I jumped the gun before in my analysis of this in an earlier segment, but you know, we got to allow Ben to be Ben. So we have to give him a thread that he can weave into an entire, you know, sweater in terms of (laughs) Saeed's tortured, you know, backstory and being able to, you know, did you lose someone too? Tell me about it. Oh, and she was, I'm guessing she was important to you. Please don't hit me. You know, tell me more. Let us identify more as characters. <laughs> and, you know, we, we know where it is. It's writing 101. And, you know, you overlook it because Ben was such a great character. Um, could have failed in the hands of another actor here. Really could have yeah. been that three and out, you know, uh, type of thing. You, you just... You couldn't put an imposing guy like Clancy Brown in in Ben's, um, you know, shoes, you know. But um, I I think it has to be what it is here, and you know I can criticize it. it it's it doesn't make it so, and it doesn't make it not so. I mean, Michael Emerson definitely is somebody who acts can act physically bigger than he is. I'm reminded of uh, the guy who played Bilbo Baggins, who was also in Alien. Ian Holm. Ian Holm, who's kind of renowned as somebody who, who's done that on stage as well. Okay. And you're right. I mean, it's just, there, there's a look that we're going to be discussing uh, in a little bit that, uh, that Ben gives where, you know, as, as I teased before, it's going to be the first time that you actually see Ben and all that kind of energy and, and vitriol. And you're right. It's, a, it's an actor who, you know, he can just really dial up the, the energy and, um, and still be believable in dialogue that is kind of, you know, kind of, you know, familiar. Don't hit me anymore. You know, like, you're right. This absolutely could have failed. What, what would the show have been if you hired a lesser actor for Ben? Uh, moving on, of course, Saeed then starts to beat him. And uh, there's a really inspired shot of the light under the door. You're kind of hearing, you know, they don't want to show the beating, uh, just as they don't want to show the torture in the flashback. But uh, just to give you that sense, there's the sound of it, and there's just kind of the, as I say, the light moving under the door. Uh, Jack and Locke tussle over the morality of it all, just in time, of course, for the, the thing that Lost appears to have invented in order to add tension to the ends of episodes, just in time for the button alarm to go off. So it's like they could, you know, had the button been taken care of, you know, two minutes prior, well, they could sit and yell at each other for a hundred and, you know, what, it goes off at four minutes, a hundred and some odd minutes, you know, to just discuss this like men. But no, there's, you know, the button goes off. Um, The beating is then intercut with the discussion. Um, Ironically, it's a bit less brutal to watch now, now that we know Henry Gale is the master villain. And uh, you're showing me the Dharma Initiative alarm clock, which is absolutely awesome. Which, uh, real quick, you know, to bridge, again, Star Wars and Lost. So, my dear wife last year 
you know, I, I don't wake up well. I wake up like a two-year-old child, uh, swinging, hitting, that kind of thing. And I got to <laughs> wake up, uh, you know, five o'clock in the morning and, and get ready. And uh, I'll hit uh, the snoozy, as my wife uh, affectionately refers to it a couple times. And I, I get one or two snoozies and then, you know, it's worn out its deal. So last year, in an effort to try to beat that, she gets me this Darth Vader clock. She's all psyched to give the gift and everything. It wasn't something I asked for, so it was out of the blue. And the thing was an utter failure. And we're watching <laughs> this episode preparing uh, for my appearance on your podcast today, Matt. And I'm saying to my wife, wow, I need a Dharma Initiative uh, alarm clock that I've got to get up and enter the numbers <laughs> so that it will prevent me from just hitting the snooze uh, 52 times uh, before finally rousing my ass. So uh, I now have something I'm going to put on my uh, Christmas list here. Wow. Yeah, I see that at the top, there's like a keyboard on the top. It looks yes. like that Macintosh keyboard. And then there's the actual flippy number thing. And I believe this too, again, a Star Wars thing, and, and we know how Lost dovetails so well with this. Um, there had been an April Fool's Day joke a couple years ago. Somebody made as a, as a joke a uh, Tauntaun sleeping bag, which, haha, yeah, we get it, you know, I thought it smelled bad on the outside, you know. <sighs> the family guy uh, <laughs> joke in there. Uh, they went ahead and made it, and it, right. it's been an all-time seller for them. I think this was the same type of thing. They made this as a joke, and wow. it took off, and enough people demanded it. And guess what? At $49.99, they're going to make another sale. Here. Yeah, 50 bucks. That's not bad. <laughs> Uh, we actually are 20, gonna... 23 year warranty or until your house implodes, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Walt, geo geodesic dome, and polar bear not included. Fantastic. Um, back to this episode briefly. Uh, in all the drama, um, and, and you know, we've been talking about some of the overacting that there may have been. Uh, I would argue that Matthew Fox uh, channeled Jack Nicholson um, in this clip. <laughs> We don't. You would risk everyone's lives. You talked me into pushing that button once, John. But it's yours now. You're the one who won't risk it. You. Me? I don't think anything's gonna happen when we get down to zero. So if you wanna see what's gonna happen, let's just see what's gonna happen. So as I say, a little uh, a little over the top there from Foxy, I think. Um, you know, let's just see what's gonna happen. <laughs> Hello, Johnny. And this is the first time in the button arc that uh, we go past uh, zero. And then, of course, because we can't implode the hatch just yet, we're going to do symbols. So there's an even further countdown. It's the first time we allude to any kind of ancient history of the island. The next time we'll catch some button action we will see the black light effect and the map and all the mysterious question marks and X's that mark spots this is and all the things that go on that Kelvin put up. And absolutely. And indeed, let's hear that, uh, that moment where we see what happens, at least initially, when you don't uh, push the button. You think I'm stupid, you open it.
Yeah, I mean, seeing that for the first time, that was phenomenal. That was because you know it had been a discussion now for for uh, you know since they got into the hatch for fourteen episodes. Uh, is this is this thing real? And then just to discover that something happens when you don't do it. It's not just that the the red hieroglyphics appear. It's that something starts to power up. Something really genuinely starts to happen. Which P.S. is the opening sound effect for every episode of Looking Back Lost. <laughs> but just I mean, what a moment! What a moment! Tantalizing there, and you know, knowing again in in full disclosure where we're going to be by the end of the season and and what's going to happen there. You know, they they were very effective in. Okay, we're going to give them a little bit more here. The breadcrumbs are going to continue. All right, and that's all you get for this. And the marketing of it was really in lockstep. Get it? Lockstep <laughs> with what was going on here. You know, um, in terms of the overall uh, hatch button arc. Yeah. Um, just a just what a moment. Um, the act ends with Saeed being pulled out of the gun locker. Declaring that Ben is lying. Uh, and then, as we've teased twice already with the rule of threes, uh, there's just the shot of Ben looking up at him, and there's just fire in Ben's eyes. And I would argue that's the moment where he's, where Ben has stopped playing Henry Gale, and his real self is there, and he's just saying, You, you can't, you know, you can break these bones, you can't break me. Um, and it's, you know, we're seeing, you know, we're not seeing uh, a whimpering, beaten man, you know. Henry Gale is gone. Ben has appeared. You know, here is the dedicated zealotry of Benjamin Linus. Um, P.S. To count the wrongness of Jack in this episode. Jack is wrong about the button. Jack is wrong about Henry Gale. And as we talked about before, he also is wrong about uh, the, the injury that uh, Henry Gale, a.k.a. Ben, has. Uh, the final flashback sees Juice uh, and Kate's father heading out of Iraq. Uh, down to the requisite shot, kind of un, not shockingly, you know, uh, of Kate's dad holding a picture of young Kate. Of course, Kate's dad, fake dad, real dad. Uh, it also pastes together Saeed's story. Kelvin says he has a new skill set and will use it again, despite Saeed claims. Saeed's claims. So we can have that, as I say, that, that moment where it's all stitched together. And there's a total, you know, screw you in that Kelvin suddenly decides to speak Arabic where he needed Saeed before to be the translator. So, you know, the inescapability that somebody else could have done what Saeed did. But no, we had to use the tool. Mm. We had to take this, uh, at what point was, uh, you know... What's the word I'm I'm searching for here? Not blunt, but maybe he went from being blunt to having to be more precise or vice versa. I can't really decide how I want it to be. But, uh, you know, Saeed has these skills now and none of it had to happen. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, the, final, the final scene of the episode, it uh, leaves us ending on a strong note. Uh, it reminds us that we are in a larger world. Uh, and it starts off with Saeed saying how he has no guilt. But there is no way I can ever explain that to Jack or even Locke. Because both of them have forgotten. Forgotten? What? That you were strung up by your neck and left for dead? 
that Claire was taken and kept for days during which God only knows what happened to her. But these people, these others, are merciless. And can take any one of us whenever they choose. So tell me, Charlie, have you forgotten? So tell me, Matt, have you forgotten that I have forgotten about Nadia and that none of it comes up here? Well, I, I have an answer for that. And this is something that, uh, that uh, has, has come up a few times in the podcast. Um, Nadia is not his true love. People who complained that Shannon was with him at the end, of the end, uh, I think have misunderstood the Saeed story. Shannon, for, for the brief time they were together, he was, she was his true love. Uh, the, the love that you know, was so profound that it, that it lasted to, you know, from this world to the next. And um, you know, sometimes you end up with the person who, who you know, feels like the right person, but they're not the right person. And uh, I think that's the case, of, the case of Nadia. So the fact that he's forgotten her is because the love of his life and his afterlife uh, is someone that uh, that he met and was with far too little in this world, but will be with for an eternity in the next. I can buy that explanation. Um, I never bought them as a couple, but I can understand that. The ending here just feels tacked on. Like, we have to have a coda. Like, do, do you remember, Charlie, that these people have done bad things to us and that we have to do bad things back to them so that the conflict can continue to escalate so that we can uh, meet them on a dock in the season finale. It just, it feels forced. Sir, I mean, I, I, I disagree with you for this episode, but there's been many, there have been many episodes so far that, yeah, they just, as I have said, the story doesn't stop. It just runs out. It runs out of time. It's now 9 o'clock. It's time for the next show <laughs> to start. So just do some kind of, you know, whatever. And... Uh, and with that, the episode is over. Could they have left us? Have they ever left us in a flashback? I feel it would have been a more effective ending. To leave us there, it would have symmetry mirrored where he is in the world right now. Saeed at the side of the road. Having just tortured, mm. if not killed somebody, this is where he is. Instead... It feels Disney-esque. It feels, we're on ABC, this is the mouse house, we've got to bring it back, you know, make it somehow ambiguous in, in terms of what's going on. Bring in a hobbit, and, uh, you know, let's cutesy it up, even though there's some foreboding dialogue. I, I just think, and scanning my memory, I don't think they've ever left us on a flashback. Well, you know, I, go to the to the credits. I know with the first uh, flash forward, they they of course did. You know, we have to go back. We have to go back. Right. right. But um, yeah, I don't think that they ever did. That's a that's a good question. So uh, with that, the episode is over. Of course, the podcast is not. Let's take a quick peek at Lostpedia for some of the the juicy bits that uh, that they have there. First. I only I marginally added this one. It's just it's kind of interesting, although it really doesn't have a point. This is the last fourteenth episode of a season that does not depict the death of at least one main character. Really? 
Uh, Nikki and Paolo died in Expose. Michael died in There's No Place Like Home Part 3. Daniel died in The Variable. And Saeed Sunjin died in The Candidate. Okay. So that's kind of interesting, I guess. Um, as I think we all know, this is the first appearance of the Hieroglyphs. Um, there's a little bit here on Kelvin. Uh, his name was listed as Joe Inman in the script for one of them, despite never being used in the dialogue for that episode. This was done on purpose because TV Guide has a tendency to name characters, even when they aren't referred to by name in the actual episode. Lostpedia goes on to say, if the name Kelvin had come up, fans would have instantly tied him to, Kel to the Kelvin Desmond mentioned orientation. His name is thus Kelvin Joe Inman. Uh, also, too, uh, without you looking at this screen, uh, you can finish this sentence. The name Kelvin is... Kelvin is the last name of J.J. Abrams' grandfather. I believe he was Henry Indeed. Kelvin. And in every project that Abrams is involved in, there is always a reference to a Kelvin. Let's go down the list. Fringe. Fringe. It was a genetics company, if I remember correctly. Kelvin Genetics. Yeah. Mission Impossible 3. It's on a letter. Yep, letter uh, to H. Kelvin. Right. Uh, of course, goes without saying, Star Trek. Mm -hmm. oh, well, you could say it. But. Oh, okay. Uh, the precursor uh, Federation uh, ship that were shown, uh, the USS Kelvin in the uh, the tease there for the film. Indeed he do. Uh, back to some facts directly about this episode. Um, and th this deals with Ben asking, what is this place when he awakens in the hatch? Here's what Lostpedia has to say. In the uh, official Lost podcast, Q said he did not believe that the others knew about the Swan Station. However, he acknowledged that the others may have observed the Swan Station through the monitors in the Pearl. Therefore, Rosinski and Kelvin were not killed during the Purge, along with the rest of the Dharma Initiative. To me, that is all 100% internally consistent. They're locked away in there. They occasionally pop out. If the others aren't drawn to that area for any particular reason, then... The, you know, hour and a half every couple of weeks that one of them pops out in the suits, that's enough to escape detection, particularly if the others don't know where to look. Right. And they don't particularly care. Like, oh, fine, there's two guys there doing something. Who cares? Right. Um, it's kind of like, you know, let them be there until they die or they come this way or the monster eats them. You know, it's kind of like not their problem. Right. <clears throat> that's a fun little fact. <laughs> and with that, let's now look ahead to next week. Next week will be episode 216, Maternity Leave. Uh, certainly a good one. It's like it, it's the first flashback that isn't a flashback. Like, the flashbacks told in the episode aren't... Like, Claire is actually flashing back in the course of the on-island right. narrative. It's an on-island yeah. flashback. Yeah. She, she herself is flashing back mm -hmm. to those things. That's a, that's a neat structure there. Uh, a reminder that new episodes launch to the website, iTunes, and the Lost Podcasting Network on Mondays. Uh, Pete, why don't you plug some of your endeavors? Uh, well, big thing uh, working on right now with uh, phgeek.com. And again, we have our weekly topics that uh, anyone can uh, 
uh, respond to. You know, you go to the website and you will see a link how it works. Uh, you can email geekswillrise at gmail.com and we will then unlock you and you can participate in all the discussions, several of which have the opportunity for lost material to uh, inevitably and invariably wind their way in there as both uh, Matt and I have uh, written about on the site. Um, And I think a lot of uh, your listeners would get quite a bit out of the the cross-pop cultural connections that we make, much like the hodgepodge that is uh, Lost as a Series. Both on phgeek.com and also the phgeek podcast, um, which is always great fun. Sometimes those episodes are, though, rated explicit for some of the cussing that goes on. None of it is, I'd say none of it is really R-rated. And none of it ever by me. And none of it ever by (laughs) Pete, that's true. Uh, So while we maintain only the highest level of uh, purity on looking back at Lost, we we let our hair down a bit in the phgeek podcast, so check it out. If you'd like to share feedback for this uh, wonderful podcast, which you've made to, uh, you know, by far this is the longest one. It's all courtesy of Pete and all your, your wonderful input. But if you'd like to share uh, feedback, there's tons of ways to do it. You can call the voice message line at 732-707-1815. You can say hello to me on Twitter, where I'm Looking Back Lost. You can email me at lookingbackatlost at gmail.com. You can visit the webpage, lookingbackatlost.podbean.com. And you can always find the show on iTunes, where reviews are always appreciated. You'll even get your review read on the podcast. That's how much I love reviews on iTunes. <laughs> but anyway, you'd like to share feedback. It's always welcome. I'm always looking to uh, share uh, you know, share the words of the listeners, so don't be shy. Send a tweet, send an email, leave a message. And uh, with that, thank you very much for listening. And I will talk to you again next week for a 2.15 maternity leave. Take care, and bye-bye.